0: If you suffer from imposter syndrome, you feel like there's something bigger but you can't put your finger on what that is, you want to get to the next level, you're not sure what it is, whether it's inside your business, your relationship, finance or whatever, I guarantee you today's episode is going to be really impactful because today's guest, Jamin Fraser, he's uh, the author of a new book called The Seven Essential Practices for Overcoming Insecurity. And I've spoken about this a few times on my podcast. Um, the way you perceive yourself, insecurity, the self-image, it all really ties into the, the big picture of um, you and how, and how you think you can actually get stuff done. And uh, honestly, I, I read his book before coming onto the podcast. Jamie was really kind enough to give me a copy. This should be mandatory reading before, for any business owner. Um, it is a it's a great combination of stories to illustrate examples and uh, some how to advice. Um, and there's some some like chapters in there. I, I really feel like every business owner needs to unpack because everyone's got their own little emotional back baggage. Uh, one way or another, we're, we're, we've had some sort of mini traumatic or major maybe major traumatic incident. Um, and, and it's blocking you in some sort of way and it's not, if, if it's stopping you achieving your goals for whatever reason, um, this might be it. Uh, and, and one of the big, I talk about this in the podcast myself. I, I hate to make it all about myself. <laughs> I just wanted to use an example. Um, one part in the book, uh, you'll hear in the podcast is that when, when people are in their early twenties, they're really driven to prove someone wrong. And I was really insecure about me not being able to achieve my dream and not prove to my family I could do it. I went off on my own. and I did do it and the reward, when I got there, wasn't even that great. It was just a bit of a nod, like acknowledgement. Yeah, well done, but that was it. So, I don't know where I'm going with the story, but um, the point I want to make is that In this podcast, I I, I try not make it like, what's step number one? What's step number two? Like, I I, I really bring up a lot of problems that people might have, especially as a business owner um, and sort of why you might want to be thinking about why your insecurities about whatever it is. Say for me, it was um, imposter syndrome and proving people, my parents wrong, Um, That. I, I really feel like I, I try and got as many questions out in this to try and serve you, my audience members. So, without the further ado today, my guest today is Jamin Fraser. So, Jamin is an author, obviously. He's a TEDx speaker and coach. He's done over 10,000 hours coaching people in this field, in the field of insecurity. He's also the founder of the Insecurity Project. And he specializes in helping entrepreneurs, leaders, and business owners eradicate insecurity so they can show up to life unhindered by doubt, fear, and self-limiting beliefs. And you can get a free copy of his book at www.unhinderedbook.com. I'm going to leave that in the description below. Otherwise, enjoy the podcast today. Real good note-taker one. And like I said, it is not like what's step one, one step two, um i read the book and i um i unpacked it a little bit and i found some really sort of questions i wanted more answered so and it would go into a bit more depth there so you'll know exactly what i mean but anyways enjoy the podcast today with Jamin fraser Have you ever heard a story that just made you feel, wow, I'm ready, I'm fired up? A story that captures everyone's attention and gets you to spread it to all your friends? Or how about a story that creates real impact and connection with the audience? Why do stories do this? And how can we create stories like this in business? I've been obsessed with figuring these questions out. I've been starting and failing multiple online businesses now for two years, struggling to find an audience I truly wanted to serve. It wasn't until I discovered my dream customers were struggling with these exact questions, except I didn't know where to find these people. I hopped on a plane to the US to attend a marketing conference that I met my dream customers, and I saw firsthand how powerful stories really are. After that, I went all in on my hunch. If you're looking for the real secrets behind how stories can get your audience fired up to take action and to change their lives through your words, this podcast is for you. My name is Jules Dan, and this is Storytelling Secrets. Welcome back to Storytelling Secrets. My name is Jules Dan, and I'm here with Jamin Fraser. He is an author of the book called Unhindered, and the, the, the rest of it, I think I'm just going to start again. The, the, what's the subtitle for? Uh, we'll, the the seven
1: essential practices for overcoming insecurity. Okay.
0: <laughs> Great start, Jules. Okay. <laughs> Hey, Jules. Uh, hey, everyone, This is Jules Dan from Storytelling Secrets. I'm here with Jamin Fraser. He's the author of Unhindered, The Seven Essential Habits for Overcoming Insecurity. And I'm so um, glad he's coming to the show, um, mainly because my backstory from early this year, I've been working on self-image and insecurity, and it has been one of the best drivers for leveraging my business. And that's why I was really excited to get Jamin onto the show. So, Jamin, welcome.
1: How's it going? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's a real treat to be here and talk about this subject. So appreciate it. All right. So I want to
0: hear a little bit of your backstory because um, not, not everyone falls into this. And so what, what was your most sort of, because you, in your book, you mentioned you've had over 10,000 hours of experience coaching clients mm. in this sort of field. Um, could you walk me back sort of what was your motivation to just get started in this field?
1: Uh, so I was a church pastor for 10 years. I got, I got given the leadership of the church that I grew up in at 23 years of age. And, uh, that was a deep dive into all kinds of interesting challenges. Um, you know, dealing with people, um, people as pastor, you're kind of invited into people's world to have a conversation about change all the time. People confide in you, their challenges, what's happening with their marriage, with their kids, with their finances, and they expect you to have wisdom from God about how you can fix that. So mm-hmm. it was an interesting dynamic. And, uh, and I always found those conversations strange because they very rarely led to lasting change simply because Christians often outsource the change work to God. So if I just have faith, if I just believe yeah, I just pray, well, God will magically somehow fix things and yeah. I'll do anything. The idea of, the idea of you you playing a part often felt too secular for, for the people in my church, and so it's like no 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 you don't have to do anything it's you just trust God. So I just thought I'm pretty sure there's something you're missing here, and and when I got exposed to the coaching skill set from a mentor of mine, uh, I just thought this is a missing technology. This is extraordinary. Like in my mind, the two greatest gifts we've ever been given as human beings is choice and responsibility, and most people want to give them back they want to live with the illusion of no choice and, and live with blame and excuse. And I thought mm. if I can understand how these tools work for my own life. First, I reckon it would make a massive shift for me. Um, Cause there was a bunch of unresolved stuff internally for me that I'd never known how to deal with. And all my praying and all my trusting God hadn't changed it for me. And so I was so curious to see how these tools work for me. And then out of the overflow of that, I thought, I wonder if I could get better at facilitating lasting change for others. Um, so, so going down that world, mm-hmm. um, I quickly discovered the fact that the coaching space led me to a much bigger space than being a pastor could ever have done. And, uh, and so I, I handed the church over to a young couple that I'd raised up and, and launched into my own coaching business, like literally four weeks after doing my first intensive, uh, you know, great thing about the coaching world. There's no barrier to entry. So you just get to swing away. Um, so yeah and and in the process uh, of applying those tools to myself, confronted a whole bunch of really interesting limiting beliefs and doubts and fears about whether I was good enough to make a difference and yeah. speak a message and i 'm um, kind of non negotiable about smoking what i 'm selling, so I think it 's only you're only a useful when you embody a message and you only embody a message when you fully dive into it so I think um, yeah for for ten years i 've been uh, diving into this subject of transformation and how it happens and um, using myself as the example and and then teaching others about what i've discovered and uh okay so you said you you had
0: after four weeks you jumped into coaching from leaving that Mm -hmm. um and and i'm guessing from the day you left that that church you were just diving into this stuff like heaps of different books courses Mm -hmm cassette tapes maybe at that time
1: (laughs) uh no i think i think they were cds oh sorry sorry that's an insult that's my bad
0: (laughs) (laughs) no okay so you're diving into i'm guessing a lot of the the personal development transformational space um what what did you see was a, a bunch of uh fluffy you know not really the meat um that you really wanted to see and then um, compared to say the stuff that you talk about in the book. Um, yeah, sh- were there a yeah, bunch sure. of authors or was it just bits of information
1: from here and there that you just thought that was it? It was rarely really the authors. I think the authors were the ones that had put out valuable contributions. So, so people like Stephen Carvey, The Seven Habits, and Anthony Robbins, Awaken the Giant, mm-hmm. and you know they said it first and said it best in so many ways. So the authors were great. It was just the fact that people could access information and then were butchering it. And just putting out memes and lightweight affirmations and writing things on their mirror and imagining that was going to work. So, so I think the big trap was people trying to make change from the from the behavior end rather than the belief end. Just mm-hmm. going, I'm just going to try hard. I'm going to be better. I'm just going to be positive. I'm going to get over it. Yep. Um, and that's going to create change when that's just the end of the assembly line. So. Um, whereas the factory that's producing the results in the first place is all the story, all the beliefs, all the fear, harder to deal with. Um, but when you make change on that level, then the behavior cannot not come out differently. Mm. So I just thought, I want to learn how, how do you change beliefs? How do you change story? What can I understand about that process? And then diving into that to see how I could change my own stories to see how it worked.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that's exactly what you're saying in um in the the first step which is step into the light and you're saying people want to be there but they're not being here at the moment and they they want to be that outcome but mm. they haven't yet taken the step to first either label the fear itself yeah. or whatever it is um and then make the change so and you mentioned that rewriting a story is is that's on step number seven mm. um, but um so why is, say, rewriting a story um, so crucial for um, overcoming insecurity?
1: Well, all we have is story. We're sense-making creatures and we go into the world and we tell stories about what happens. And, and as children with limited awareness, limited emotional intelligence, when, mm-hmm. when we're experiencing painful moments or pain, moments of loss or discouragement, we tell negative stories. And they're negative stories toward our own self. So the two sense-making uh, questions or the storytelling questions are uh, question one, why did that happen? Question two, what does it mean about me? You know, so when, when stuff goes down as a kid, we answer those negatively toward ourselves. Um, must be my fault. I must've deserved it. Uh, what does that mean about me? It means I'm no good. I'm not as smart as someone else. I'm not worthy. And, and those stories get inside us and the way that our brain works is, we'll find evidence for whatever we believe is true. So they won't feel like a story very soon. They'll feel like truth. They'll feel like your world. And then that'll govern your whole experience of life. So to kind of come to terms with the fact that we're storytellers and our whole world is shaped by the experience of our story and and the people who do better in life just tell better stories than those who don't, kind of means, wow, there's a lot of value in reviewing your current story and finding out how to update the quality of that thing Otherwise you'll always be stuck in your current experience.
0: Yeah. Oh man. It's just like so many great things to touch on there. So it's like if the story you tell yourself, like you said, the good stories are the people who are living their best life and the people with broken stories. It's not necessarily their fault because you gave a few case studies and examples. It's the person who say they can't lose weight. They've been, or they've got chronic illness mm-hmm. and, but they might not should be, they're not, they don't have a weight problem. They don't have a health problem. It started from this, would you say, like a traumatic experience, or just a, a experience that sort of just changed their path a bit, and that's what now they believe.
1: Yeah, well, I think people typically try and solve the problems where they see the pain, so they've got pain in their health, so they think it's it's a health problem. I need to go to the doctor, or I need a naturopath, or I got to fix my health through exercise and diet. It's mm. like, well, sure. Um, but what if the reason your health's like this is because of the story you're living out of? Um, so let's turn the lights on, let's have a look, let's be precise and see what's going on. And, and it's amazing what you uncover because so often there's stuff that's gone down in people's world that's gone really badly. And then they've created a belief about themselves that says, well, now I, I think I'm no good or I'm not worthy of love or, yep. or I'm not special enough. So then they create a scenario unconsciously which then holds them back from life, which is, which is strange, but loving at the same time. Because if you've got health problems, extra weight, chronic illness, then you've got an excuse as to why you're never fully showing up. Mm. Yeah. Because if, if you were to fully show up, you could get found out as inadequate and your worst fears come true. So this health stuff is actually serving you and protecting you from what you're most afraid of. So rather than it holding on to you, you're holding on to it so that you don't get found out. Yeah. So it turns out when you deal with the problem back at its core, realize it's an insecurity problem long before it was a health problem. Change the insecurity, and the health sorts itself out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really
0: amazing, and it also links up into imposter syndrome. Like you said, I want to touch it in a sec, but let's just say someone has that um, that chronic health or the weight problem, and mm. they think it's that, but it's just it's just their story for making them feel like, Hey, it's not my fault in a sense. How would yeah. you go back with a client and um, make them aware that, look, this is actually an insecurity problem. Not, not what you think it is. Yeah,
1: sure. Um, so practice five in, in my model is get help from someone who doesn't care about you. Mm-hmm. So I think it's such a vulnerable subject, it's health and weight. Like mm-hmm. I, um, the much. only way I can touch that is when I come in as a dispassionate observer and I say, listen, like, I'm not the one with the problem. You can't confuse me for someone who gives a shit about you. Um, like, I don't care. It's not my life. I don't need you to be skinny or healthy. I don't care. Um, so I'm not another person who wants you to do something you don't want to do. I'm not here to fix you or give you advice or tell you anything. Um, however, if you, if you would like a different experience and like to explore how to make change, great. I'll give you everything I've got to serve that agenda, but you've got to want it because me wanting it for you is a judgment and, and that's really unkind. So I think to touch a vulnerable subject, like having extra weight or chronic health, you've got to create a safe space first and, and judgment is unsafe. Mm. That's the, you just shut that puppy down the moment there's the presence of judgment. So, so that's the first thing, just really convincing someone that I'm just there to serve and I don't care. So it's really fun and, and really amazing how quickly you can get to the core issue when you create that safe space. Um, you know, I, I tell an example of, mm. I had a, a very first conversation with a woman who was trying to lose 20 kilos, and she's telling me about why it wasn't her fault and why this has happened. And, you know, it's just she's big bone and it's too hard and, you know, whatever. And I just said, well, I mean, clearly you need to be fat. And we <laughs> both stopped in awkward silence. Then we both roared in, in laughter because it's like, in what other space could I say those words to that woman and not, you know, copper hiding? Yeah. No other space those words are entirely inappropriate except in the coaching space. It was like, well, I don't care. Let's have a look at what's actually happening here. And when the safe space was there, we uncovered there was a bunch of trauma, a bunch of relationship pain that had happened early in her life. And so she created extra weight to be unattractive deliberately so that no one would come close enough to hurt her, you know, so not a weight problem, insecurity problem.
0: Mm, It's, it's all wacky the way it really comes back to that root cause. Um, So if someone was a really deep thinker, would they be able to, uh, because you you did say the way to get past this is you can't start with judgment. It's just being aware and what you can't, the two can't work together. Um, So is that why it might be easier to do it with say a coach, someone knows how to pull the answers from you, who is removed from their their opinion on you rather Mm. than say just journaling it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we do need help with these stories because they don't feel like stories and it's, so hard to be objective about your own experience. Um, so hard to get distance from your own story. So I think to have someone who is genuinely objective, who has no vested interest, who doesn't mm-hmm. need anything from you or for you, it's just amazing what they can see because they're distant. And, and I think to deconstruct these stories, you kind of do need that level of objectivity. Otherwise, it, you just kind of get lost in the process really quickly. Yep. Makes perfect sense. Okay. So
0: I did mention imposter syndrome before. Mm-hmm. Now, um, and and it, I love how you said it's society has now, it's culturally acceptable to, to say that you have um, insecurity because the, the ending word is uh, a syndrome. And so it's legitimized. Um, yeah. You can get away with your own insecurities and everyone will be like, Oh, it's okay. You know, sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, everyone faces it um i I recently got over it myself last month believe it or not um i can tell you about after the call but it's a bit of a story it it feels very freeing and enlightening um how did you get past it Uh, i'm sure you probably had it for yourself when you first started out Mm, oh yeah yeah uh it
1: was it was when i went to write my first book um that i was so excited i was in the coaching space I've you know this possibility of go make a difference go earn a million dollars go mm-hmm. do your thing and i'd always dreamed of writing a book and i thought i'm actually going to go do it and so i go to write this book i tell my wife and my best friend i'm gonna do it go back to the hotel write the first chapter of my first book and then so excited and so energized but then literally the second i, I shut the lid on that laptop all this energy turns to fear and dread and holy shit, what have I done now? I've put it out there. What if it's horrible? What if no one likes it? What if I fail? So that's when I really uncovered this mountain of insecurity, just going, Jamin, you're not one of the big boys. You're just a normal guy. Settle down a bit. You know? And I kind of knew in that moment, if I didn't find a way to not just manage this insecurity, but actually resolve it completely, that, that I would never live the life that I dreamed of. I would never step into my potential. Yep. So, I became obsessed to go, how does, how does this get fixed? Does anyone ever fix this problem? And and I discovered it's, it's just like any problem, you know, um, it's already been solved by someone and, um, and it wasn't done because they were smarter or stronger or their mum loved them better. They just, they followed certain rules and principles. So I thought if I could make those rules and principles explicit and, and deconstruct them to model it, well, I could use that for for my own life first and then I could help others. So, so the seven practices is how I solved it. I I just went. That's that's the that's the road. The the, the map. That's the, the the way this gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I dived in that and and lived that and road tested it and and then I've shared it with others.
0: You drank your you drank your own Kool Aid, which is a- <laughs>
1: you got to <laughs> smoke what you're selling.
0: Yeah, it's really so. What was that that f- opinion of yourself, as you would say, um, at the very beginning that yeah, needed to come really-
1: light? it really was, I'm not one of the big boys. Like I'm not, I'm not a guy that's out there. I'm not special. I'm average. I'm a sheep farmer from collector. I'm a little guy. I'm insignificant. I don't really, no one cares. Like that was, that was this thing. I just had this deep inadequacy kind of thing just to go, you dream of being up there, but the reality is you're just down here. So just come to terms with that and settle down a bit. Um, I, I always had this, like I'm from a, a rural town, um, you know, town of 150 people, uh, in collector rural New South Wales. And Then I moved to the big smoke of Goulburn, the bustling metropolis, you know, 20,000 people when I got married, but this line would play in my head every time I'd have these big dreams of, of influence and, and speaking a message, it would be like, Hey, Jamin, who are you again? Where are you from? Like you're from Goulburn. Can you just settle down a bit? Like you're just, you're not one of the big boys. So that was this opinion that I'd formed that undermined all kind of progress and growth from a business setting. When I'm trying to launch myself as an entrepreneur and a coach, that was the opinion that kept getting in the way. So that was the first one that had to go. Mm,
0: Okay. And did you do that just out of curiosity? Cause we mentioned you you need someone who with, who knows what they're doing and objectively, did you do that with someone who knew what they were doing
1: or did you do it on your own? Yeah, well, obviously I, I did a bunch of stuff on my own. I, I read voraciously. I listened to stuff. I was, in the, I was in a world where I was getting coach training at the time. So I had access to lots of great resources. Um, but, but there were some coaches that I went, I, I need a deep dive. I need one-on-one. I need some stuff because this is hard and I'm scared. And all the evidence that I've gathered for the first 30 years of my life says that this story is true. It is true. I'm just an average guy. So to undo that mountain of evidence, uh, yeah, I definitely needed help. So there were some great coaches early on um, that really made a difference. And then particularly I did a three-day coaching intensive with one of the best coaches in the country. He took me camping on the East coast of Tassie and, you know, so adventure sports, rock climbing and abseiling and snorkeling for abalone, you know, while deconstructing my whole world and and really pulling apart all my limiting beliefs. So uh, very transformative.
0: And And how old are you now?
1: I, I'm forty-one. Yeah. That's pretty good, forty-one. Nice. Wow,
0: yeah. And so you're at that time where you show that graph where there's uh security and uh oh what was oh, it? I'm getting a blank on that graph.
1: Yeah. Well well, the relationship between performance and age yep. is impacted by security and, and insecurity. That's so right. yeah. When we're young in our 20s, it's, it's likely that insecurity drives up performance because mm. there's something to prove. Someone said you can't, you shouldn't, so you're desperate to prove them wrong. Yep. So kind you're of kind of out there exploring stuff, learning new things. But that's pretty exhausting and pretty toxic energy uh, and, and that starts to run out of steam in your 30s. Mm. And if you're still 40 and trying to prove how awesome you are by what you can do, uh, you're an insecure wanker. Like it's, yeah, you're not fun to be around. <laughs> okay. So yeah, well, I've got to so be a mid- life. Okay, Well, Well, mid- midlife, the opportunity is to switch fuel sources and, and go, hang on a minute. Now's an opportunity to, to to solve the insecurity problem and be motivated by deep security. So I get to show up with nothing to prove and nothing to defend. Then I'm free to bring my gift to the world without an agenda, without neediness. Um, you know, so secure 40-year-olds, they're, they're doing their best work. That's... Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's really powerful stuff. And the reason why I wanted to selfishly ask is because I'm 26. I was in that. Mm. So if I was to take that change that you're talking about, I'd be like the two and a half percent quartile or whatever it is. Yeah. Very small percentage. And at the start of this year, um, I left um, my family home when it was Corona was just going crazy. Um, I, I decided to move out um, with 400 bucks in my bank account, no clients, had some leads, had my copywriting skills, and I had my girlfriend waiting for me here in adelaide um, and I, It was my mission to prove to my parents that, look, I can do this um, when I did actually do it mm-hmm. it 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 didn't feel as rewarding as I wanted um, and I had this whole <laughs> whole bunch of new problems that I had to face and then when I read your book and I 'm just like i've got nothing left to prove because it just it, there's once I reached it, it didn't feel as good as I wanted. So <laughs> making the step to become more secure, it just sounds like the logical step. So I don't know yeah, if that was the case for yeah, yeah. MJ when when after, like you said, he had to make six championships before he's like, all right, is this it? Or mm. is this the end? Um, mm. But yeah, I, I don't know. Just really, really um, curious to think about. Um, so my question would be, if someone was in my position like that, and they've gone through that experience and they've, they've gone and they've felt like, oh, that's what it feels like to prove for someone. Um, would that be like the good time to switch over to uh, the more secure side of that bell curve?
1: Well, again, there's no right or wrong here. It's your life. You're the expert. You can do whatever you want. Yep. I think it's just turning the lights on and having a look at how things are going for you. So I think it's really a beautiful observation you made and it's really relevant to most people's journey that when you do finally prove someone wrong, um, they've forgotten. They even told you, you couldn't, um, they don't really care. And so the victory is so hollow. Like, uh, yeah, I really thought this would be great. And so then you've got to go, you've either got to go find the next person to prove wrong and the next one and the next one and keep the cycle going, which is kind of, you already know it didn't get you fulfilled the first time. So it's not going to fulfill you the second third, fourth time either, just FYI. Um, or you can make the switch and go, okay, yeah, the, the, the lasting motivation, especially as an adult, uh, is security rather than insecurity. So to get to the point where you've already squared away with yourself, that you are a good person, you've owned your value and worth internally rather than externalizing, externalizing it, means you can direct all your energy into contribution and growth rather than all your energy into approving something to someone. So very, very different how effective you can be with that fuel rather than the insecurity one.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, it, it was a good fuel. I won't get you wrong, but yeah, great like you, feel. Um, at the same time, when you know the reward isn't great, then, because we're all incentive driven creatures, when you know the reward's yeah. crap, then like, yeah. it's kind of like, what's the point? So I think like I'm just going to deep dive more into your stuff, but it segues beautifully into my next question because um, you wrote this little um, blurb and it said, Insecurities are like a handbrake that severely limits your ability to flourish. Most people are too afraid to, achieve, to delve into, uh, into the fear of their inadequacy. Um, so maybe someone's 30, 35, 40, 45. Why might they, why, maybe why, why might they be afraid to fix mm. this,
1: uh, insecurity? Uh, well, because fear unexamined grows. So, I mean, the point is, oh, we're all enough. Of course, we've always been enough. It's just at some point, stuff's gone down and we thought, oh my goodness, that proves that I'm not. So we formed an opinion that says, maybe I'm not, in that, not good enough, maybe I'm inadequate. That opinion's gone unreviewed and it's just been strengthened to the point where it just comes bigger and bigger and, and it becomes a monster inside you. So if you've got a monster in your head, well, you think the monster's gonna kill me. So what's the point of diving into that? So I think, yeah, the longer you leave it, stronger it becomes the scarier it becomes the more vulnerable it feels the more true it becomes so i think that's why people avoid it um they just think there's no way i could win against it so i've just got to manage it instead Mm, yeah yeah totally and um what what do you find to be the,
0: the the catalyst for someone to come into your world and be like this needs to change
1: yeah it's always pain it's a great pain's a great motivator so no one comes into my world except from a poison except from a point of great pain. Um, but that's beautiful because pain is a gift. Pain, pain's desire is to move us from danger towards safety. So when you put your hand on the fire, it's supposed to hurt, and that pain helps you take your hand off the fire before you ruin your hand. So feeling shit about yourself is supposed to feel shit. Like that's the point. And that pain causes you to take action. So, so I think young people often don't have enough pain, they're still driven to prove something to someone and so work and I'm getting it done. And yeah. Yep. Sometimes people in later in their fifties or sixties, have too much pain, but I think midlife there's often a lot of pain, but there's still hope. It's like I, things aren't working the way that I thought this wasn't the picture I had for myself when I was 20. Yep. Um, these stories are really limiting me, but it's not too late. I could, I could reinvent myself. I could make some change. I could do some work now and set myself up beautifully for the back end of life. So that's typically when people are ready for change, That the, the pain levels are right.
0: Yeah. So it's it's that, like you said, it's that internal pain that is actually, people need to recognize, look, it can actually be a good thing to lead mm. you to change if you have that like awareness saying like, look, I can actually take action. I have this choice as a human being. Like you said, that's one of the few things you have choice and responsibility. Great. Um yep. But, but you also said, this is a little quote from your book, it's a universal fear of not being good enough that drives people to fill up their cup externally, which is what we said, the, uh, the motivation to prove people wrong. It cannot be your purpose to prove that you matter. And so my question is, so how does someone discover their inherent worth?
1: Mm. Uh, well, they discover it by looking for it. Uh, it's there it's it's home it's it's true it's always there we are inherently valuable and worthwhile that is where we started each one of us the problem is at some point as we've journeyed into ourselves and and into being us stuff's gone down and we've put a meaning on it that has changed the script so i think it's not about you're not discovering something that's never been true you're just uncovering something that always has been true so um, these stories become true, but they're just, they're just like a jumper you put on and then you see yourself in the mirror with that jumper and then you identify with that jumper and then that jumper kind of becomes who you are, but it's just a jumper. It's not who you are. So these stories, these inadequate stories we tell ourselves, they, we identify them with them, we personalize them. we become familiar with them. They become who we are, but they're not who we are. They're just a story. We tell ourselves about who we are. So yep. I think with some gentle inquiry, some good self-awareness in a safe space with a good coach, it's really amazing how quickly you can deconstruct these stories and go and examine uh, who you really are and, and who you'd like to be and, and rewrite that script.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. So what you're saying is that I loved your jumper analogy, by the way. Um, and, and for my American audience, a jumper is a sweater, um, I believe <laughs> in Australia. Um, but like you're saying, your inherent worth is part of it is just, is, to look and find that you're wearing this extra layer on top of you. That's quote unquote, protecting your, your self-worth, your ego, which is actually Mm -hmm. just your insecurities, Um, which is makes a lot of sense why you just need someone to be like, Hey, you're wearing like three jumpers on. (laughs) How about we take off a couple first? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. I've got, um, we could go for a while. I, I want to ask, I just want to keep this, Relatively short. I've got one more question because I think this really applies to business and that, and especially if you're working with clients. Mm. And um, because you mentioned that there was there's a story about this woman, um, and she was having this problem at work where she started being all enthusiastic, and then uh, the boss started putting more and more load on her, and she needed the money, but you know she was miserable at her job. Mm. I've been in the same situation with client work where you're bending over backwards to produce results for them um mainly because i needed the money and uh like i couldn't really turn this client back because otherwise that was my thinking at the time now i know that's wrong to think like that but you know how would you get over someone's insecure how would you recommend someone to break free from this neediness uh from say like working with clients and not having to always bend backwards
1: yeah. So the, the rule is the only people that have the power to hurt you are those you need something from. Exactly. Because it makes sense. They they could withhold what you need and then you suffer. Mm. So the question is, do I need that? If you need it, great. Well, you're also signing yourself up to be treated poorly, but that's fine. Need it, need away. Um, but if you don't need it, and if you can find an alternate, an alternate source, then you free yourself from getting hurt. So in an employment situation, if you need that job and that income then your boss can treat you however he likes he or she likes and you have to suck it up because you need that job if you don't need that job and the boss treats you poorly well then you just leave the job Um, if you need a relationship i need this person's love they're the only person who can love me i need their acceptance and their approval then you have to please them and because if you upset them they will remove the thing that you need so they can treat you however you like and you're stuck there because you need that if you need clients i need this client because i got to pay my bills or i need this person to think well of me so i have to go above and beyond great but you're also signing up for that client to have all the power treat you however they like be as slow as they like paying invoices and you got to suck it up if you don't need them then you're the prize You can you can set the terms and if they behave badly well then you fire them uh, so i think it's It's just this idea that if you can, the more stuff you can bring in house, the more stuff, more needs you can meet internally, then it frees you from the power others have to hurt you.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's so like, that's what it all comes back down to like the self image and the worth that you give yourself. Um, That way, when you start say a relationship, especially if it's in like the business world, you set the tone and you set the expectations because yeah. you've got your own self-worth being like, look, I'm not going to be treated like shit. Either you do mm-hmm. it my way or you go the highway. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the way I've sort of shifted this year. And it's just been, well, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, obviously, I've had to walk away from a few deals, but in the same sense, it's it's been kind of weird as well. Like when you say no to the bad ones, magically the better ones just appear out of nowhere. I'm sure you've probably had that experience as well.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jamin, thank you so much for um, coming to the show. If you'd like to add anything else, I've got your your new book, Unhindered, unhinderedbook.com. I'm going to leave that in the description, but if you'd like to leave any other uh, ending note or anything like that, please go for it.
1: Uh, I, think, I think people suffer greatly for not knowing how to resolve insecurity. I think it costs us significantly. You know, when we're insecure, we show up at our worst where it matters most. Um, It affects our business, sure, but it affects our health and our relationship and our finances. So I'm convinced this is a problem like any others. It can be solved. It already has been solved. All you need is a proven framework and someone skillful enough to hold you in the space until it works so that you can be unhindered by doubt, fear, and insecurity and, and then show up at your best where it matters most. So that's the whole intention of the insecurity project is to put those tools in your hands so that you can go do good work
0: Absolutely awesome, and like I said before, I call um, for my listeners. I, I I read a lot of books, and I think that this is one of those required readings if you're a business owner. And like you read some of the stories, and some of them you don't connect with, but you might be you connect with say like a friend you know, or it might just spark some sort of thing in your head, being like, wow, that's that's the way I think too. Um, and obviously, the awareness is the first stage before change. So I'm really a big fan of it, um, Jamin. Thanks so much for coming on to Storytelling Secrets.
1: Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thanks, Jules.